Well, folks, welcome to One More Edition Politics and Run. I'm Greta Tovalis, your host. Thank you so kind for being part of the show. We are going to have a great show for you today, again, from our second location again. Anyhow, welcome aboard. Michael Rudnett is in the house. Paul Fleming, Atlanta, Georgia, is in the house. Bridge MCP, Nueva York, is in the house. Yvette Avery Herod in Atlanta. Hey, our, our union specialist, the one that's going to make sure UPS pays. And you know what? You made sure they did. And guess what? They did. Absolutely. So, folks, we're going to have a great program for you today. What are we going to cover? We're going to cover several issues. We have Clarence Thomas. I mean, he is a shame on the Supreme Court. But then again, so is Alito. And then again, so are quite a few of the other ones. So, again, he doesn't really stand alone when we talk about that. Then, of course, we're going to talk about poverty in America. Poverty in America is not what you think. It's not what you think. And there's a new book out on it. Well, you know what? I'm going to show you a little bit about that and what we had to cover. This other subject we're going to cover is, of course, Democrats. Remember, guys, I was telling you guys, I ignored the Hunter Biden story. I ignored the Jared Kushner story. And why did I do that? Because, as it turns out, if you follow those two stories, they have nothing to do with, well, indirectly with government. In other words, uh, Biden can't tell Hunter what to do. And theoretically speaking... Uh, Trump can't tell Kuchner what to do. Of course, we know that because he works with MVB, that what that really means is that the Saudi Arabia deal probably does have something to do with the former presidency of Donald Trump. Anyhow, I have to listen to Claire McCaskill on this one. And Claire McCaskill's former Senator Claire McCaskill said, we can't leave the Republicans to continue doing what they're currently doing. We have to engage and after watching her explanation, I think I agree with her. We have got to engage. We cannot leave a vacuum there. And least but not least, uh, not, what is it? Least but not, how do you say that? Least but not, next, next but not least. Right. That's, thank you, baby. Uh, next but not least, you know what we got to do? You know what we got to do? Somebody called me a communist today and I had a rant and I think that is where I want to start with today my rant. But beforehand, let me see. Michael says, Egberto, is there a single conservative on the Supreme Court without a scandal to their name? No. I could go on a rant about each one of them in detail, if need be. Well, if you want to write a rant for everybody to see, to teach folks, please feel free to do so. Whose show is this again? Let me think about it. Let me think about it. Let me think about it. Oh, wait a minute. This is your show. So therefore, if you want to do that, my brother, Please go ahead and do so. But I tell you what, I want least but not last. <laughs> last but not least. There you go, Bridge. There you go, Bridge. All right, let's go ahead and get started. I'm going to go with my rant. This is what I did this morning on KPFT 90.1 FM. This is a rant. Lee Grant is in the house. Let's talk about commies. You know, I love Lee Grant, my favorite conservative. You know, he comes out here and he, he likes to pull my chain. Well, here is the rant that I gave this morning. I want you guys to check it out. Let me see. He called me a communist. I know it's not you calling me a communist, but it's okay. It's okay. Está bien. Here we go. Punto y final. Ding. Respect America is somebody, I mean, I think he likes to troll us, but I think it's an important troll. Um, he says it's cultural. My, uh, when, he says I'm a communist and he says the cultural mindset, your well-being is your personal responsibility. And uh, Melanie Keelan then says we must have some financial literacy, which is very true, which we don't teach in school. Uh, but we want everybody to be financial literate, right? If we were financial literate, we would ask ourselves some special questions about our 
economic system, but I'm going to put that on hold for a second because he also says, I told you Egberto is a communist. Uh, so there's this rugged individualism. There is this rugged individualism that a lot of people on the right like to speak about, right? That individual, that this rugged individualism is good. What they don't tell you is this rugged individualism only works after you have made it or after you have inherited something or after you have gotten a good break in life. And what I mean is the following. This rugged individualism doesn't work uh, if you are sitting down dry, listening to me right now in your car and you're driving to work and you, you have to go to work every single day and you are barely making it. And then you hear this about this rugged individualism. And then you hear about these people on the streets who are asking for money while you are driving in your car to work. You have a tent. They have a psychological manner in which they speak to you to let you know. And when I say they, I'm talking about society at large and to tell you, look, you see, look at you. You are you're heading to work. You are busting your butt to work while that beggar is taking food stamps while that person is on the street asking. And that infuriates you because you are going to work. Hey, brothers, let me tell you, when when my business was flying before I left it to do this, the amount I paid in taxes, when I see somebody on the street, there was some time that I was thinking, you know, I work 16 hours a day. I'm still working 16 hours a day. I'm just not getting paid for it. But I work 16 hours a day. And, and, uh, and that guy is on the street. And there is a time that as liberal or progressive that I am, that sometimes that feeling would hit the heart, right? Until I taught myself that, wait a minute, wait a minute. It is a game. It is a game. Those of you, that, that secretary, that, uh, that janitor that is going to work in these buildings downtown, they're going to give you $7.25 an hour. They're going to give you $10 an hour. They're going to give you $12 an hour to keep them comfortable, right? And for that 10 or 12 or 15 or $16 an hour that you're making, you have two kids and you have to get your two kids in daycare and you have to buy that expensive gasoline that doesn't have to be that expensive, but it is expensive because somebody said, I can take more money away from the working class and make more profit for my shareholders and a bigger bonus for me. But they're only getting 16 bucks an hour. Right. And at the same time, I'm teaching you, hey, but you're going to work. You're going to work. And that guy's sitting his butt down and you are in pain going to work because what? Because that's the way you think things are supposed to work. And you hate that guy who's on the street begging because it's called rugged individualism. You are rugged individualists making it the hard way. But the guy at the top of the mountain, the guy at the top of the house, the guy at the top of that skyscraper that you're cleaning for $16 an hour, for $10 an hour, he is making orders of magnitude more than you. What do I mean by orders of magnitude? He may be making $500 an hour. He may be getting a bonus of several thousand dollars every single year. His bonus is larger than your entire yearly salary. Few people are doing that. You know, I don't on the problem in America today is people doesn't don't understand the obscene wealth that goes to the top on your backs and that and they don't see the dissension that we create among the working class fighting among each other for the crumbs that they let down. 
And then you have people whose mind have been so convinced, like my friend here on, on the chat that says, it's a cultural mindset. Your well-being is your personal responsibility. It sounds good. It sounds good if we had an equitable society, which we do not. So my friend, repeat America too, who calls me a communist. Please call me whatever you can, whatever you want to. But do understand that the only thing I'm fighting for is for an, for an egalitarian society where the working class is paid its due. Because everything earned by Bill Gates, everything earned by Elon Musk, everything earned by Warren Buffett, everything earned by every billionaire you revere, they didn't get it because of rugged individualism. They got it because of socialism. You are a part of the social fabric and they took a piece of everything you have ever made and they turned it into something called profit. Excess labor is profit. And I have nothing wrong with profit. I believe in profit. But excess profit, you have to understand when Melanie Keelan is in the chat saying financial literacy. And I say, yes, Melanie, my dear friend, my American friend in Barcelona, Spain, says American financial literacy. Understand the financial literacy. Understand that when you are making 16 bucks an hour for corporate America, that person that you are making sure their, their, their building smells nice. They are making met many more times what you're making to tell people like you to tell people who's who are cleaning the tanks in 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 uh, Pasadena, Texas, putting their lives at risk. Remember, they're sitting in a well-cleaned office by you as the workers in Pasadena, Texas, as the workers all over the place. Profit don't make the profit that they are making. Individualism? Individualism? Rugged individualism doesn't exist. It's a nice phrase. You know, personally speaking, when I had Willie's computer software company working, 16 hours a day, writing the code, writing the manuals, writing everything. And you know what the corporate guys who made the competing software did? They had others who did it. Paid them pennies from around the world. And then they talk about rugged individualism when we talk about pay what's due. We, pay we, what's due. There it is, uh, Bridge MCP, the piece that you wanted says, amass $640 million while serving as pretend diplomats on the White House staff. $2 billion gift from Saudi Arabia. Absolutely. So welcome aboard, El Senor uh, El, Daniel Ledo, welcome to the program. Melanie Keelan, welcome to the program. Carl Cox, welcome to the program. Likewise, we have, I saw some more in the program. Oh, uh, Bruce Pollard. Hey, Bruce. So how did she meet? Uh, how did, did she meet uh, the VP? Is she at home right now? Is your wife at home? Because I was going to tell you, why don't you guys call in now, Bruce? Call into the show right now. I want to hear a little bit about the story, about her thoughts, etc. And if, if she's not there with you, Hey, why don't you tell me what she told you? Give me a call. It's 281-823-7747. Una vez más, 281-823-7747. Let's have a chat. 
Anyway, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see. Rudden says, when I go shopping, there's usually one or two homeless people begging on the street. I put a $5. I put $5 aside for whenever I see them. I find it sad that my home, New York City, a liberal bastion, still has around 100,000 homeless uh, people. And as we as society haven't addressed the issue, my $5 given might help with a cheap meal, but it doesn't do crap in the long term. And you're so right about that. Let me tell you. I keep a whole lot of change in my um, the left thing in, in my uh, car, and when I go, I would drive to KPFT every day, you know, every every morning, and there will be the homeless folks sitting uh, standing at the corner, and you know, I had a few friends said, leave, don't feed them or or whatever, and the thing about it is, I, you know, that one dollar that I give them, I usually get. The truth is. They're standing there and there are many folks I, I feel will give them. So I normally give a dollar. I would go broke going every day, you know, giving 10, $15 every day. Uh, you know, so what I try to do is I, I probably every time I go there, will give a dollar here, a dollar there, a dollar there, et cetera, with the expectation that others do as well. Uh, but yeah, I feel you, Rodnin. I feel you. All right, Egberto, talking about the class struggle, we're living in a nation where there's only the small number of filthy rich and the vast swath of struggling people who are either just barely surviving or underwater in debt. It's so true. A lot of people don't even know how bad off they really are. You know, they 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 finally at the end of their lifespan they've bought their home, then uh, had to turn it into a reverse mortgage. I'm praying that I never have to worry about doing things like reverse mortgage and that sort of stuff. You never know. But here is the interesting thing, right? They make it look all so good and they all get the assist from the government. That's for another day. Reverse mortgage, the government and more. Remember that I should give a class on that one sometime. Uh, let's see. Uh, truth out from Michael Rudden. The survey found that voters overwhelmingly recognize that voters must be paid more than $20 an hour in order to have a decent quality of life, as in being able to afford basic necessities like food and rent without struggling. Exactly. All right, let's see what else we got here. Daniel Adol, uh, le let me guess. You want to compare what Americans in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world are do compared to an abject poverty these claim capitalism uplifted people out of. I mean, it, it's a joke. You see, we can either buy the narrative all of the times or we can really uh, work on truth and move us all forward. We can. We have that choice. Uh, Lee Grant says, can any progressive cite a decision by Clarence Thomas that was influenced by bribery? That's quite an accusation. Can you back it up? Uh, no, I can't, actually. And, you know, if I could, I would uh, I would say that. I just say that I, I can infer that the reasons he, his decisions are always corporate-based is that those are the people that he believes in. Those are the people he supports him. But to say that I can tell you a billionaire says, hey, Clarence, vote this way, and he votes that way, no, I can just infer that, uh, infer that Lee Grant. Look at his choices, even from a guy that grew up as poor as he had, Somebody who knows that things aren't done fairly? Well, what can I say? Uh, Michael to Daniel. Daniel Ledeau doesn't seem to understand that most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. PR Wire News and Lending Corporations, two-thirds of the U.S. population now lives paycheck to paycheck. They cannot get by. All right, here is Bruce Pollard. Bruce, how are you doing, my dear brother? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty, pretty good. Great. I mean, I'm glad you called in after we asked about... Uh, your wife meeting the vice president today. Was it today that she met the vice president? Yes, yes it, was. it was. She's, She's at, at, uh, uh, in, Chicago in Chicago at a conference, conference called, called Gun, Gun Sense University. University. Wow. Um, which, which is put on, put on by, by all, all the organizations, organizations that, that 
are connected, are connected with, with, um, um, with, with, you know, you know she, 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 she's, she's a coordinator, coordinator mom, mom and action, action and, and she's, she's a, um, a group, group leader, leader in the Be Smart program, which are two connected pieces right. of their, the, the effort that uh, came out of Sandy Fork. Okay, um, got you. And, and so every year they have a big conference called Gun Sense University. And it's been virtual the last two years. This year, um, this year they didn't. Th- this year they all went to Chicago, and um, and uh, the vice president uh, appeared uh, kind of out of. Uh, they, they knew she was coming. They had a whole bunch of special security in place, but it was very, it was very impressive. And um, it sounds like she got some up close. Uh, Interaction with her. with her. We'll see when, uh, nice. when we the, the the debriefing. Well, so she's going to have to come and the, debrief the PDR the PDR posse. Yeah. Well, the thing about this is, is you know, she could be the next vice president, or she could be the next president. Sorry. Who? Uh, uh, the uh, um, oh, can you Kamala. believe uh, Kamala Harris? Yeah. Well, if if he yep. gets sick or something, yeah, could. Yep. Or or we'll see you know the interesting yeah. thing about it is we don't particularly want to say that because the the the, the, the right kind of hyperventilates that oh my god yeah. a kamala harris could possibly be president of yeah. the united well, states and it's the you know it's the vice presidents are never qualified to be the president except for richard nixon and joe biden and we got to name all the other. Oh, and, well, I, well, Gerald Ford is a special case. Right. Um, but the, the, the one that uh, I don't even think Republicans would say was qualified would be Dan Quayle, right? <laughs> you remember Dan Quayle, right? For, for uh, President yep. uh, Bush, number yep. one. And it, yeah. Anyhow, but yeah, Bruce, yeah. so how is everything else? All, all else is good. Uh, th- were you able to listen to oh, our yeah. show this morning? I was. Okay, Some good, good. Good, good. It was good, I'm and glad. and and um, you know, and I um, I still think that there's place for people to um, not to not to succeed in the way that 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 um, Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk did necessarily, mm-hmm. but um, but in the way that um, their life will be better if they work harder. It's oh no, 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 I. Yes, you don't you don't get there for everybody. The the thing about it, here's here's the thing. I think you're you should make uh, your income commensurate with how much work you want to put in. Right. In other words, uh, and that's where basic income comes in. Right. The, the people who believe in basic income and have been doing some experiments with it. And I've interviewed quite a few at Netroots. Uh, you see, here, here's the, people like to go to the opposite extreme, right? In other words, do you want everybody to make the same amount of money? It's a, absolutely not. A burger flipper cannot make the same amount of money as a doctor, right? Because a doctor's worth to society in the aggregate in what they pr- uh, produce for society is a lot more, and it takes a lot more to get there. That's understood. But let me give the caveat. The stockbroker that moves paper that he makes more than the doctor or that he makes more than the engineer or the police officer 
when the work that he does, right, I could train a cat. Well, not really. You know what I'm talking about. And those are the kinds of things that I well, talk I have about. Cats. You could you, you wouldn't need to train them. They're already buying and selling <laughs> Selling bonds. <laughs> okay, I got you, Bruce. I got you. But you see what I'm saying. I nothing that I'm saying should be should assume that I believe everybody should make the same amount of money. I definitely don't believe that. Look, personally, I put 16 hours worth of work in every day to 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 create something. Right? There are some people that get up every day and watch TV. Should we make the same amount of money? No. But does that person deserve to exist and live? As a human being, yes. Uh, are you willing to say, well, if they don't work to produce something, we should just let them die? That my humanity says that's impossible, right? First of all, most people don't want to just exist. Most people want to do something. And for those who just want to exist, seems to me like that's a mental problem. And do you kill people that have mental problems? You don't, right? So that's just my thought uh, process. If it, it, yeah, well, so the focus is on money. Yes. You know, so I, there, there are many, so many different ways to find personal satisfaction. Yes. Um, that that as long as you're not cheated out of something that that stops that satisfaction from being realized, maybe maybe money is less of a. So I've got a I've got a whole nother thought process here that's going. Um, you know, I with one of my friends, we've been arguing about what the real base of inflation is, and his belief is that we print too much money. And he was and wrong. Completely. I've heard your argument. Yeah, I've I've heard your argument, and and you know, one could set up a mathematical thing and see how it a works. model. But right. in in the thinking in the thinking of about this, how much money do you think is tied up in the billionaires' space that? Is basically frozen, um, out of either in their investments or or out of circulation. Right. How much? How much? What percentage of the money is that? And and does that existence of that big mother load, let's call it, mm -hmm. um, change? Um, it, since it's since it's static, it doesn't change the the flow of money, but. That's not Could completely true. That's not and let yeah. me I know where you're going with that and let me explain that part, right? While that money is sitting in a bank or it's sitting in stocks and bonds, right? There are monetary there are actual objects that are based on that that is in circulation and that's what a lot of folks sometimes don't understand, right? Yeah. In other some words, of them, I mean concrete and steel, sure, but some of no, them no, no, no. just not. not concrete and steel. Not concrete and steel. The, uh, there's this stuff known as demand deposits in banks. The amount of the actual amount of money that a bank has to reserve, uh, reserve, and it's called a demand deposit held by the Federal Reserve. But uh, all the other monies, while it is owned by the billionaire, a lot of that money is back into circulation in the economy, right? So if uh, Warren Buffett has X amount of money in, in stocks, right? Uh, that bank who holds that stock or, and, and we're talking two kinds of banks now, there's investment banks and then there's the regular banks, but there are instruments that are created backed by those other instruments. And that's where we talk about derivatives and all of that. There are instruments backed on those instruments that are right back into recirculation. And in fact, that's where economy does, uh, does so well. 
the thing about it for us though is talking about ownership who owns it ultimately and that's my grievance not only that it's it's not too much so about circulation even though circulation of that depending on where it's put it's different right uh but the real real problem is who owns that barrel of cash or not cash but that barrel of of capital when they really didn't earn it that is my whole, whole grievance and your friend i saw the article that thing that you talk about with your friend who said that somehow uh the, the printing of money is what causes inflation. That only applies if there are not enough services and products to be purchased. And the lie that we hear is that somehow it's automatic. Uh, And and the the, the way you figure that out mathematically is that you take a look at the whole size of the economy, the size of the profits that these guys have received from Wall Street since the pandemic, and and, uh, the the price of of things that have gone up. And and as uh, Katie Porter points out, only... 50, uh, 40 something percent of that was really caused by, you know, uh, true inflation, if you will. So we've been ripped off so bad. It ain't funny, Bruce. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I'm always interested in looking at, at models and I imagine this one's a lot more complicated than the uh, debacle of the American health system. So, yeah, but they won't. They, they don't want to, the American actually, health system was it was an easy one to to figure out. There's just you, you one factor, and that's the 16 percent that that the companies are taking away that um, aren't going towards the product healthcare to help healthcare, helping it, people stay alive. I want to give, give a caveat. It's easy. These things can be modeled, but nobody is going to invest in modeling them because those who have the monies to invest in modeling them won't want to go through. Uh, th- that's all right. Uh, AVQ said his posts are long today. We're going to go over them in a minute. Uh, here's, a, here's the deal. Yeah. Uh, they don't want to model these things because you can infer what the results of the model are going to get because a lot of this is common sense, right? So if you go ahead and model capitalism, if you will, you're going to, unfortunately, you're going to come out and find out that it eventually dies on itself. Why? Because the model itself continuously move wealth up to the top. That's just how it works. Yeah. Well, all, capital, you have to do, all you have yeah. to do is, is launch the, the James Webb telescope, and it'll completely change the model. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it did for cosmology. There you go. There you go. And again, Bruce, I mean, the problem is we can't, we can't say, I mean, they don't want to model these things. Healthcare. Like healthcare is ridiculous the way we do it in the United States. We don't want to, there's been models that prove it every single time. We don't advertise it that we should. But anyway, Bruce, thank you. Let me get back to reading some of this stuff so that. um, Thanks for calling and everybody have a Thank you for calling. And tell uh, tell Susan I said hi, okay? And keep up the great work. I will. All right. Take care, buddy. we'll, we'll, We'll send a picture. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate that. All right, let's get back to the the call. That was Brother Bruce, you know, uh, the PDR Posse. Okay, wow, you guys really have me filled up here. Uh, Daniel, let me guess, compare. Okay, I read that one already. We also have Lee Grant says, can any progressive cite a decision? I read that one, and uh, and I said I couldn't. Uh, Let's see what else we got here. Coming down, coming down. Daniel, ah, just like, oh, can infer that Joe Biden profited from Hunter Biden's deals. How come you can infer with Clarence Thomas, but not Biden? Let me explain. There's a big difference. 
we are inferring that the results of his cases matches the people who we claim fund him. Okay, again, let's repeat. The people who fund, there, you can see a, and I'm, look, and first of all, I, I was very honest with Lee Grant. I can't specifically say Clarence only voted this way because this billionaire told him to do so. I can't say that. But I can infer that since he is, he thinks all things billionaire seem to be okay, he's wined and dined by billionaires, then his, his rulings would seem to be billionaire-centric. McCutcheon and all these other rulings would be billionaire-centric, and they were. Money, uh, now it's not only that money is speech, but corporate, I forgot what McCutcheon said exactly, but McCutcheon was, a, was furtherance of Citizen United, okay? So I think it's, it's easy to come to that conclusion. When it comes to, you say Biden's name was used by his son to get deals. Did money from Biden, those deals appear in the, in the Biden uh, coffers? Well, they had the bank accounts, and for everything that shows, there doesn't show anything that says Biden made decisions based on his son doing X, Y, and Z. If that were to occur, I would be the first to report it. All right, Michael Rodney says, someone asked uh, about Clarence Thomas' specific court rulings. Here's just a quick one. So am I better at searching than you? Were you serious about finding out? Here you go. The Guardian, a close look at Thomas' judicial activities from the time he uh, became friends with Crow in the mid-1990s suggests that the statements might fall short of the full picture. It reveals that a conservative organization affiliated with Crow did have business before the Supreme Court while Thomas was on the bench. In addition, Crow has been connected to several groups that over the years have lobbied the Supreme Court through so-called amicus briefs, yes, we know that, that provide legal arguments supporting a plaintiff and defendant. In 2003, the anti-tax group, the Club for Growth, joined other right-wing uh, individuals and organizations, including Republican Senator Mitch McConnell and the right, National Rifle Association, in an attempt to push back campaign finance restrictions on electing spending. And the time of legal challenge for the least 2001 to 2004, Crow was a member of the Club for Growth's prestigious Founders Committee. Though little is known about the role of the committee, it clearly commands some influence over the group's policymaking during the course of 2005. And I won't read all the rest. You guys can go ahead and read that. Uh, Carl Cox says Hunter Biden is a pile of crap, to be sure. Neither am I a fan of Joe Biden. However, Joe Biden did not profit from uh, Hunter Biden, who never served in government. Kushner served in government. True. Michael Rodden, uh, that's, I think that's a repeat that uh, Bridge did for you. Uh, Michael Rodden also says one of the ideas from the communism that probably wouldn't work in society is that everyone would earn the same amount. I don't agree with that at all. Uh, what the left actually says is that everyone should earn at least enough to live a decent life, which is known as basic income, with the possibility to earn more due to the effort. Such a system would require the filter rich to pay more in taxes to cover the difference. Society should welcome the millionaire, but abhor the billionaire. There is not a single billionaire that exists who has screwed people, who hasn't screwed people over in order to acquire much. I think I've said, I, that's sort of what Bruce and I was talking about as well, Michael Rodden. Uh, Carl Cox says, Kushner and Trump made big bucks by Kushner dealings with Saudi and other governments. Thomas will never admit that he uses his place in the Supreme Court. I agree with that. Uh, Michael Rodden reminds me of Mark Thomas, author of If You're a Billionaire, You've Done Something Wrong. You have done something wrong. Maybe you can make a million dollars legitimately. You can do that legitimately. Or maybe two or three million legitimately. Once you get to five, ten, you're really, really exploiting something along the line and pissing people off big time somewhere. And that's a bald fact 
of it. So if you are a billionaire, you seriously screwed some people to uh, through the wall. That's what you've. Uh, that's what's going to have happened. They're psychopaths in the fact that what they're good at is accruing money. I agree with that. You guys can finish that little piece from Rudnan, which is a good uh, little snippet there. Uh, let's see. Oh, I'd love to have a day to talk about the James Webb Space Telescope when we have a slow day in politics. That will. That would have to be. Uh, Bruce and I sit down in this room here and have a chat and have you guys ask him. He's an astronomer as well. He runs the astronomy thing at the at the college here. Bruce would love, I know Bruce would love doing that. Uh, right, Bruce? Say yes underneath. <laughs> Lee Grant says, run in, try to focus. I repeat the question again. Cite a decision by Clarence Thomas that was influenced by bribery. I can't do it. I, didn't I already tell you that, Brother Grant? I can't say in, in immediately. I just said we can infer that his rulings are based on who he has as his company. That's all. Okay, what did Robert Hunter Biden do in the way of corruption? Banked uh, on his name to score a cushy job and earn quick buck. It had zero effect. I tell you what, since we're talking about Kushner, let me play that one. Uh, uh, let me put make that be the next one that I, I do here. I'm going to play the Kushner thing that I did this morning. So here is the story about Kushner. I wanted to stay away from the uh, Jared, or rather from the uh, Hunter Biden story. And because also I didn't want to take up the Jared Kushner story at all. Again, these guys are out of government. And yes, both of them leverage names. But one does it in an even more obscene manner than the other in your face. Yet, we have the Republicans that are solely concerned about Hunter Biden and whether uh, his father, uh, President Biden, profited from some of, some of his sons uh, taking advantage of his name. Why is it that they haven't asked that about Kushner? Well, like I said, I wasn't going to talk about it, but after listening to Carol McCaskill, I decided that it, it, we had to give the story some balance because uh, right now, America with, the, with, our rel- with, a, with a sect in America uh, with a high degree of shallow thinking, I think it is important that they understand that whatever it is that Hunter Biden did, orders of magnitude, bigger was done by Jared Kushner and Donald Trump's rough relatives, Donald Trump's family. You don't yeah. have oversight over Congress people or senators' cousins. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, what they're doing here is overstepping the authority of the committee. Even though we may all say that was a bad right. thing somebody did, right. they have no oath or obligation to answer to a congressional committee because they're not a government employee. Yeah, I mean, you had, so Reagan, I, Alex just told me, uh, is, uh, Neil Reagan owned, owned radio stations. Um, reminds me of that Lady Bird. Magically, uh, got got licenses to TV stations in Texas and, and became incredibly wealthy. Um, you 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 look at uh, the Bushes, uh, some of the Bush kids, uh, the same uh, did did very well on the site. So these Republicans, I mean, they're they're sitting here looking at Hunter Biden, you know, and somehow missing again. Not only. The two billion dollar uh, example right in front of him, but also a long history of this. 
mean, Jared Kushner continues to cash out on the Trump presidency and all of the connections he made with the UAE and the Saudis throughout his four years in the White House in this senior job that he had when he ostensibly should have been uh, advocating and negotiating policies on behalf of the U.S., but was instead fomenting and creating these relationships with people who he now continues to do business with. But there is a long history of troubled family members and children uh, in, in the presidency in the White House. And I think I've read the Devin Archer testimony several times uh, and, you know, the headlines couldn't be clearer. Devin Archer says that Joe Biden had no, no knowledge, uh, no discussions with Hunter Biden of the, of the business dealings that they were doing. And if you read really closely, I think the picture and the portrait that is painted by Devin Archer is actually a really sad one of one of the son who's exploiting his dad, taking advantage of him, sort of doing everything he can to capitalize on his name, selling this brand. That's absolutely true. And and, and by the way, we've seen it time and again. I don't think it's right. In fact, if, if I were in that position, I'd look at all my family members and say, you know, you, if, if, if you do anything like this, you ain't going to have a problem with the feds. You're going to have problems with me. But it happens time and time and time again. And, and again, th- we have an example of a, a, a sad situation here. Uh, these other, I mean, Billy Carter is a sad situation. You look at some of the Bush issues. You look at, you look at, like you said, I mean, it's it's somebody in the shadow of either a brother or a, a father or somebody else, and they go out and they try to trade on the name. And yeah, it's 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 pretty terrible. Uh, but if you have somebody that's actually making two billion dollars off the Saudis, building a relationship off of Middle East peace talks and off the Saudis, it, again, the, the, once again, the false equivalency is outrageous. And they keep, they, do we have that clip of, of the poor guy, the poor Republican uh, trying to, but, but here's, here's a congressman from New York that needs to give me a call the next time he thinks he wants to go on an interview. Play the tape. Despite nearly two years now of an investigation into the president's son, while you have certainly unearthed a trove of evidence uh, that the committee says proves the president's association, there has not been produced a smoking gun. Clear cut, undeniable proof of the president's involvement with his son's foreign business deals. What do you say to that? Well, we, we've never claimed that we have direct money going to the president, but many members of his family have received money from foreign governments. And this is something that is very important for the American people to know. I wanted to they're, follow they're up with you, sir, on a point you made a moment ago, which is you said we never claimed that um, any money was funneled directly to the president. That is precisely the claim uh, that the chairman of your committee, James Comer, and also Jim Jordan have made many times on the public record. We are, on we are putting an investigation together, laying out the facts between uh, on the business dealings of this family. We are going to continue this investigation. Uh, I believe impeachment inquiry would give us more tools to get the job done. And then at the end of the clip, uh, Jillian Turner there, who was tough, uh, Jillian Turner said, OK, again, we just have to tell our viewers uh, that uh, they actually have claimed a direct line. Uh, from from Hunter Biden and these deals to Joe Biden. But actually, the problem he had was he's on a committee where they're lying. He actually went on TV and told the truth. Again, this is a story you won't see me touch on a lot. 
But I, I think I have to agree with Senator, uh, former Senator McCaskill. You cannot leave a vacuum to be filled up by Hunter Biden, the family, the, the crime family, and not actually look over at the real crime family in America. We, no, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't. Anyhow, a story this morning I saw on poverty that I think needed some coverage. So uh, let's go ahead and play that, and then we'll take it on the other side. Well, I get to get it there. Poverty in America is not what it looks like or what you would see portrayed on TV. Most of the the most the, the worst areas that suffer poverty, there are the rural areas, there are areas like Appalachia, the Mississippi Delta, etc. Unfortunately, it's amazing. As a political show, it's incumbent for me to tell you that most of these areas that are suffering from extreme poverty are, in fact, uh, areas controlled by uh, people on the right. Conservatives, uh, th- does that say something? Actually, it does. But that's not the point of the discussion. There is a professor who wrote a book uh, to sort of highlight people on what's going on in the country with uh, relations to poverty. I want you to check this out, and then I want to take it on the other side for one specific issue. And this issue has a lot to do with something that we spoke about even during the Clinton era and how welfare was described. Check this out. We'll take it on the other side. We have a gross national product of some $700 billion, and that we spend $75 billion on armaments and weapons. That uh, you would think that uh, we spend almost $3 billion each year on dogs in the United States as American citizens, that we could be doing more for those who are poor, and particularly for our children, who uh, have nothing to do with being uh, asking to be born into this world, but uh, don't have enough to eat and no school to go to. and insufficient clothes so that they're going to lead a very difficult, unhappy life uh, through the rest of their existence. That was then Senator Robert F. Kennedy in April 1967 on a visit to the Mississippi Delta, one of the most poverty-stricken regions of America. Today, it remains one of the most disadvantaged areas in the nation. A recent finding shows that the most poverty-stricken places in the United States are, on average, rural communities of color. That phenomenon is the focus of the new book titled The Injustice of Place, Uncovering the Legacy of Poverty in America, co-authored by Catherine Eden. She is a professor of sociology and public affairs at Princeton University, and she joins us now. Such an important topic, and one that I think goes against what many people think of when they when they picture poverty. It's the idea that it's rural poverty, not urban poverty, rural poverty of color. Tell us more about it. So I spent my whole career studying poverty in cities. And uh, a couple of years ago, we partnered with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation to sort of turn our lens from America's poorest people in cities to its poorest places. And uh, when we put together the nation's best data to identify these places, we were stunned to note that uh, virtually all of the clusters of the deepest disadvantage were in rural areas. Extraordinary. Um, Professor uh, Alexi McCammon of The Washington Post has a question. 
Hi, it's so good to see you. And uh, I majored in sociology in college, so uh, appreciate having you here. Um, I'd love if you could speak to the different types of infrastructure that the book touches on and how that could help. We hear a lot about physical infrastructure, of course, from folks like President Biden right now, roads, bridges, how that can help communities. But you talk in your book about social infrastructure and the need to rethink how people actually gather. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we, uh, the, the, the most disadvantaged places in America are in central Appalachia, the Cotton Belt, the historic tobacco belt in South Texas. And what we see there is the social infrastructure. These are places where people can build social bonds, uh, have really atrophied. They've fallen apart. Uh, the bowling alley, uh, it's not that people aren't bowling, it's that there is no bowling alley and so on. So as the beauty shops and the barber shops have closed down, uh, people have really lost the ability to connect with one another. And in fact, in the book, we tie that very closely to the rise of, of death due to opioid overdose. Let me uh, ask this question. We, you, you saw the clip of Robert Kennedy singing. Yes. And uh, I was uh, 13 years old when I became youth director in New York of uh, what was uh, Dr. King's uh, organization nationally, but I was a Brooklynite. And they were working on the Poor People's Campaign then. Yes. And one of the things that I was struck by is they kept saying it's important what Robert Kennedy, Senator Robert Kennedy Sr. was doing because if we keep the face of poverty black, it plays into certain elements in the Congress. And they need to understand this It goes beyond just the black community and we need to push out the Appalachian and others. In your study for the book, do you find that politically a lot of people don't want to deal with the fact that there are many white Americans, Texas, Appalachian, mm -hmm. that are living in poverty with no federal drive to really deal with these issues. Yeah, so as you know, uh, Kennedy visited um, one of his poverty tours was in Appalachia. He also visited uh, Central California. Um, and so both white and Hispanic poverty feature in this book. Uh, it is not only a story of race, uh, but it is interesting that when we say rural, people think white. And in many of these places, um, uh, you see that blacks and Hispanics are in the majority. I was so happy to see that Al Sharpton, Reverend Al Sharpton, uh, the, the part that he interjected. Do you think that we have to make sure in order for poverty to be resolved in this country, do we have to put a face on poverty? And the question is, usually when we are putting a face on poverty, we often want to make that face look like a face, a minority face, meaning the face of a black person, a Latina person, an indigenous person. And just because of true and politics and how it works and demagogues, that presents a problem because uh, uh, those who are unempathetic, the leadership who is unempathetic would have a would promote that poverty looks like that. It is something that we don't necessarily have to do uh, something about immediately. But when you put it, put a true face on it, what poverty really looks like in America, you can actually get a change because suddenly it's different. Uh, I remember under. Uh, President Clinton, uh, he was going to reform welfare. And I told a friend of mine, welfare is going to look a lot differently in the ads on TV. 
as Clinton starts to work on cutting welfare as we know it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what? The face of welfare on TV changed. Suddenly, you didn't see the black mother, uh, uh, the black mother suffering and trying to, to get help. You saw a great narrative of a white uh, young woman who just can't make it and that there was wick there for her. There was, they, 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 it took on a different tone. And a friend of mine that I worked with at, at Dresser Atlas, he's, he just couldn't believe that that would really be the case until he saw it happen in real time. He saw it happen in real time and he said, wow, it's amazing. But unfortunately, when uh, Clinton signed the bill, what do you think Clinton did? He signed the bill and had two big, uh, two oversized black women on each side of him as he signed the bill. Uh, it talks about stereotype. It talks about what you want to promote. While uh, one side would, would want to show that, Clinton wanted to show, yes, I'm a progressive and look at who I'm putting under check. Poverty, poverty, poverty. Folks, poverty has no color. Poverty has no preponderance uh, I, uh, relative to, to particulars. But I tell you what. Uh, it's great that Al asked that question, specified that question, and that it gave it a bit more context. Absolutely. So now, uh, you know, as usual, you know, Eric would come with an interesting statement. He says, welfare state is what government wants and, 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 does and pushes. Well, you mean it's what red state governments push, right? I don't think you mean it's what blue state governments push because our our belt of poverty is in the welfare states and the welfare states are governed by conservative government so if we want to uh, if we if we believe in leading by example what you will see is that in red states again i repeat in red states they are dependent on the federal government, in other words, they're dependent on the excesses from the blue states. So you are, you, you know, uh, when you talk about, again, Mr. Uh, Eric Hayes, welfare state is what government wants and pushes, you're right. But you must specify which government. That is red state government. That is governments controlled by Republicans. Let's remember that. Because you are being all these red states, the poorest area, the Mississippi Delta, the Louisiana areas, the Appalachia, all of that is under what type of government? Red state government. Go look it up. And then maybe, maybe if you started understanding the truth, just maybe your tone would change. If you want to clean up America, Get rid of the fallacies promoted by uh, the leadership in the conservative movement, the right-wing movement, the MAGA movement, because the only group of folks that get hurt by them are their own people. That's why they're poorer. That's why they're sicker. And that's why they're less educated. If you, if you want to get the truth, that's the truth about red states. Poorer, less educated, and sicker. Let's remember that. 
Federal, federally close, close many red states. Oh boy, again. Uh, you know, th- there's there's no helping you. In other words, we we save people in red states from getting black lung. The same time we subsidize them so that they can get education to be more than just people who dig holes in the ground to take out coal. And you want to tell us, stop doing it. Stop helping the people. Stop making them more healthy. Wow. Uh, talking about the inability to think critically. Anyway, I, I, I got to start looking about getting out of here. I Today, I don't feel like discussing the uncritical so let's go ahead and see what we can do here. I want to go ahead and ask you guys to please support the program. We cannot do it without you. So please support the program by subscribing to our newsletter. Uh, the paid version of our newsletter is very, very, very inexpensive. And as I look for it to put it out here, please go to politicsdoneright.com. Uh, politicsandright.com slash newsletter, politicsandright.com slash newsletter, and consider supporting us with a paid subscription. Uh, It's very cheap. It's like saying we're going to buy you a coffee. If you want to find out other ways to support us, however, you can go to politicsandright.com slash support, politicsandright.com slash support. But I would really like you to do two things. Find, find one option to support us, and that and the newsletter is a great option because we're going to tie a lot to that as well. Politicsandright.com slash newsletter. Subscribe to the newsletter, and please choose that inexpensive subscription, uh, uh, and uh, it'll help us do what we need to do. There's a lot to do. Another thing as well, we are in here in Houston. We are going to be at the Black Hole Coffee Shop. The Black Hole Coffee Shop, I don't have it right now, but we're going to be broadcasting Politics Done Live, uh, Politics Done Right Live from Black Hole on Tuesday at at five, at five 6 in the morning. And likewise, we are going to do that. Oh, I have to, uh, talking about that, I've got to prepare a, uh, a, a promo for that, and I'm going to do that today as soon as I'm done with the program. Anyway, folks, it was a pleasure having all of you my right-wingers, my left-wingers, my anarchists, everybody. I want you guys to know I love you. We are one family, and we are going to discuss, and we are going to discuss, and we are going to coalesce on something good. So again, please support the program. Politicsandright.com slash newsletter is one way to support us by uh, subscribing to our newsletter and getting a paid version of our newsletter. Other option is going to politicsandright.com slash support. My name is Egberto. Willies, this is Politics Done Right, and you guys know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please 
join.